Well, welcome to another Art of Relationships podcast. It's uh, great to be back. Yeah, it's fun to have a guest here named uh, Dr. Brad Wilcox, who is the director of the National Marriage Project at Virginia and University of Virginia. And Brad, thank you for coming all the way out to sunny California from, I don't know if it's rainy Virginia, but uh, it's so good to have you here. It's great to be here today. Yeah. And, and we've been, we've oh. been having some great conversations. We thought it'd be yeah. kind of fun to close with some, uh, almost some popcorn questions just to get your, <laughs> okay. uh, after researching for such a long time and yourself being married, uh, raising nine kids, um, we just had some questions we were dying to ask you. And again, there's no wrong answer. Just top of your yeah. head, what you kind of think. And just to set it up again, uh, you're out here visiting with the American Enterprise Institute. And we're grateful for them to um, get you out here and, and make a presentation to our faculty and our students. Uh, we run a center for marriage and relationships, uh, and we rely a lot on a lot of your research out there. And so just so grateful um, to, for you for that. So let's start. There's a couple of questions. Um, yeah, you've you been studying this topic for a long time, been committed to it. You've been married 20 plus years. Um, if you were to speak to our listeners um, as married couples, what would be the what would be the one thing if you had to try to distill? It's such a horrible question. Try to distill what it is you think is the priority. What is the thing, the center, the bullseye? Couples cannot um, move away from. You know, I think it's really about um, kind of the future. It's about kind of your sort of posterity. It's it's about thinking about kind of what legacy you're leaving for your kids, mm -hmm. you know, um, and your kids' kids. Mm -hmm. You know, we're fortunate um, to have my wife's parents right in Charlottesville with us. And, you know, and they've been married uh, 50 oh, plus years. Wow. And, you know, there's there's just some, that's a gift that they've given to to us, you yeah. know, and yeah. to my wife and to our grandkids, yeah. just our, their grandkids, our kids. Um and so I think just recognizing that, you know, marriage is tough. Marriage is, is a long <laughs> road to walk. It's, it's, there are many peaks and many valleys um, in married life. And, um, you know, I don't take the soulmate view of marriage, you know, by any stretch. There are, you know, plenty of times when, when things are difficult for couples, um, including for me as a, as a husband. Um, but, you know, the whole idea is that, you know, you, you live a life together and you pass on this common family um, experience to, to your kids and hopefully your grandkids. And then that sets, you know, them on a path, you know, yeah. that's going to be typically a better one for them. What's great about that is if, let's say you inherited, not a, uh, unlike you, you inherited a tough legacy, a legacy of divorce or a legacy of, you know, different issues. You can change that legacy, that, that you can, I, I was thinking of Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. So you're saying the end is think about the legacy you're going to hand off to your kids and they'll hand off to yeah. their kids. And, That's great advice. and we all make mistakes. I mean, and, and you can change the legacy. If you feel like, boy, we, we've not done this well, we've struggled with, for a multitude of reasons, you can change the legacy. I love that. I think mm -hmm. that's great. Yeah, I think it is too. Brad, let me ask this question. Um, tell me uh, a little bit about what is. Um, 
the journey you've been on uh, is there's a lot out there. What do you love best about your work? Uh, I, I mean, I see your work in the Washington Post, the New York Times. I know you teach classes. We talked about you've been a court- on the uh, Center for Marriage and Relationship podcast. <laughs> of all the, of we could say the pinnacle. It's, it say- may be the pinnacle, but I, I just wanted him to say that <laughs> okay, too. But I'm sorry. Thanks for, for ruining that. But nonetheless, uh, all of right. these things you do, you write, you do research, you work with a lot of different colleagues uh, besides Tim and I. Which are your most favorite thing? Or what are the favorite things that you get to do? What what brings you life and energy and excitement uh, that you're looking forward to over the next couple of years? Um, I, I do like writing. You know, writing mm. is, is difficult for me as it is, I think, for most people. But, you know, when you're in the middle of a writing project, yeah. you know, for, and, and this thing we get to do as professors, you know, um, that's, there's a certain joy to yeah. being you know, being creative, using your mind and discovering new things, even as you write. So I think that's part of the, the, the beauty of this kind of work. But it's also, I mean, I, I enjoy giving lectures to, um, you know, to public audiences and students uh, around these questions. And in connection with that, I was walking down, the, it's called the Downtown Mall in Charlottesville. It's sort of a closed off main street in Charlottesville. It's just a pedestrian mall. And was approached by a, a young couple. And, you know, they said that they'd been in my large lecture class uh-huh. and that they had been, you know, inspired to, uh, um, to get married. Um, and so that was a, a pretty meaningful moment for me. Um, and then I, I met a woman at a conference out in Arizona. Um, and she said that her daughter had just had a baby uh, with someone a few years ago um, and was at a conference that I was speaking at in South Carolina, of all places, mm. and across the country. And, uh, and she was kind of motivated by this discussion to go ahead and get married to the father of her, you know, oh, of her wow. child. Wow. Um, and so it's those kinds of moments where you're actually able to touch people in a, in a personal way yeah. when it comes to marriage and family life that are the most, I think, meaningful ones to me. Oh, that's great. Great yeah. answer. And that's your legacy. Yeah. yeah, that's powerful. It really is. And the work that you're doing, um, it, it, I think sometimes when you end up in this kind of work, you don't always get to hear that, right? You're an architect or you, know, you, you build something, you get to see that. Sometimes... When you're a professor, you you impact people in some amazing ways with your writings and your books, and, and that you just don't always hear. So it's great to hear those kinds of things, isn't it? And uh, so then, Tim, I know we have some. Just there's a lot of cool questions. Tell me real quickly about uh, your spiritual journey, and uh, I know that plays a role uh, in your life. And how does that influence kind of what you study and work? Well, I was raised um, in a Protestant household, and uh, my father was an Episcopalian pastor, um, a chaplain at the University of Connecticut. Mm. With the University of Connecticut? Yes. Oh, my wife graduated stores. from there. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he, but he died when I was three, mm. and so uh, my mom raised, you know, my sister and I as a single mom for the rest of, you know, she's she's never remarried since then. Mm. Um, and so, I, you know, went off to UVA, was a pretty... Um, I think run of the mill Episcopalian kid. Um, and, you know, I had a couple of professors at the University of Virginia, including James Hunter, who's a colleague of mine now at UVA. Oh, my goodness. Um, who kind of challenged and challenged me intellectually and otherwise to sort of um, think more deeply about um, my faith. And um, I was also kind of coming to the view you know, in college that, um, you know, that marriage is that institution that connects men to their mm-hmm. kids on average. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, those experiences kind of encouraged me to become, uh, you know, 
uh, a, a more devout um, young man. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then about three years after graduating from UVA, I became Catholic, mm-hmm. um, in part because of uh, the Catholic Church's, um, you know, I think commitment in terms of its teaching to, mm-hmm. to marriage and family mm-hmm. life. So, um, and I've been Catholic uh, since 1995. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, so, and I'm still a practicing Catholic, That's you know, great. since then. So, so James Davidson Hunter. Yes. Mm-hmm. So my master's thesis was opening the gay Christian dialogue. Okay. Fe- just feeling discouraged yeah. that right. so many negative stereotypes while well, right. his books, yeah. uh, culture war, sure. Um, uh, just had a deep impact. And I just have a recent book called um, Winsome Persuasion that he has quoted all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And that's his legacy of yeah, touching really, so many people. Right. He's really been committed to sort of this idea of, of understanding the importance of principled pluralism in, yes. in our country, that we are a very yeah. pluralistic country. People have very different perspectives on a lot of different important issues. And, you know, are there um, places where we can find common ground? Oh, yeah. And we're not, can yeah. we kind of create spaces where we're, able to sort of cultivate our distinctive communities and yet still live together in, um, in a civil national context. And of course these, all these challenges are more and more pressing right. in, in 2018 today than they were even when he wrote back in the 1990s in these questions. Yeah. Quick side note. He, I love his description of America as the excluded middle. We forget that because the voices are so loud on the right and the left yeah. that, but Americans are the excluded middle and there we have much commonality it's often not highlighted, but oh yeah, what a, what a great individual. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a chance he might be coming to our campus uh, mm-hmm. soon, yeah. which is just great. We'd love it. Yeah. Hey, one quick question. We're popcorning questions real quick and uh, putting you on the spot a little bit, but what, how has it affected your parenting growing up with Autodad? How, how has that kind of shaped how you view uh, being a father? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think for me, um, as someone who's kind of a bit more bookish, you know, and um, and when I was a kid, I was, you know, fascinated with Walter Cronkite and, you know, <laughs> CBS News. And I was the kind of kid who just read the newspaper in the morning and, you know, it was just... Wow. So I, I think for me that I have to be more deliberate about kind of coming home and heading out the back door to play soccer mm. or... Yeah throw the football or whatever else um, or, you know, playing some kind of game with my kids in the evening, like charades, for instance, that's, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I'm not, in, I'm not as inclined to kind of, yeah. you know, I'm not the sort of sports dad, you know, so I have right. to kind of work to, to do that. And, and one of the things, of course, that I've learned as a student of the family is that one of the things that dads do for their kids is that they play with their kids and that more mm. the kids have kind of, mm-hmm rousing, surprising, physical play, whether it's, you know, roughhousing on the family room floor, whether it's playing soccer or football in the backyard. Jumping on a trampoline. Jumping on a trampoline, all that kind of stuff. With their father, the more likely they are to flourish socially and um, and, uh, also athletically as well. And and even seems like to control their emotions or some psychological work on this, Mm -hmm. you know, question as well. So point simply being that I think being playful um, is one of the things that dads often do with their kids. And, and it's, a, it's an important thing that we don't necessarily think about. Great word. Um, and so um, that's, for, for me, being playful is, can be a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but that's so important. So, really so many is. dads and, and wives, um, mothers, you, know, you come home just exhausted, and you can view that front door as a finish line. Like, now I'm home, right. and now I'm done. 
Yeah. And there's just no way if you have kids. But I, I love how you esteem fathers, Brad, because, you know, culture today almost makes the dad like a doofus. Like he's the butt of a, of a lot of jokes today in sitcoms and movies. And But dad's research shows that dads have pretty powerful connection with kids and uh, a presence. Not to say that mothers don't, but sure. yeah. Well, you know, on the importance of dads, as, as all of you here know, I mean, I think we kind of historically known that, yeah, dads often played a big role financially in the lives of their families and also as, as disciplinarians, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but we're, we're learning more about the importance of play, as I just mentioned, and also the way in which dads tend to kind of challenge their kids to embrace life's difficulties, yeah. you know, opportunities to become more engaged in civil society or politics or sports um, just to kind of push the kids out, out of the nest to some extent. And, you know, that's an important role that dads play in, in their kids' lives as well. Yeah. In all of your research uh, that you've done uh, and are involved in and continue to be involved in for a long time, you have a lot of colleagues out there who are studying uh, marriage, cohabitation, divorce, fatherhood, things like that. What's the most, uh, hopeful uh, findings out there for you. There's a lot of bad news. Um, the institution of marriage is under attack. Yeah. The um, the role of parents, uh, even the numbers, the, the cohabitation rates are going straight up compared to uh, some of our marriage rates. This mythical 50% divorce rate, yeah. which gets Propagated that, that gets propagated ton. a lot. That's right. Well, yeah. What in all of this? I mean, you're right in the middle of it. So when you think about that which is most hopeful, what comes to mind? Um, and uh, yeah, so share that with our listeners out there. Well, you know, I think on the hopeful side of the ledger here, it's important for us to acknowledge two things. Um, one is that you know dads are much more engaged. Um, when they're living with the mother of their children um, today than was the case often, you know, three or four generations ago. Um, and so we can, I think, acknowledge and celebrate the fact that our culture has brought us to a point where, you know, we are expecting dads to be more practically engaged in the mm -hmm. lives of their kids. And that's a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. The second thing, though, is that we actually, I think, have learned, at least among the upper middle class, mm -hmm. something about divorce um, since the 1980s. So we had this huge explosion in divorce in the late 60s, 70s, and 80s. But, you know, there were a lot of um, scholars working in this area. There were public intellectuals like, you know, uh, David Papano, David Blankenhorn working on mm -hmm. this, this question, um, raising concerns about the divorce culture, Barbara DeFoe Whitehead. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of upper middle class folks have gotten the message that divorce is not the best thing for their kids. Mm -hmm. And it still happens. It still occurs. But people, are, I think, are a lot more careful about divorce today among mm -hmm. the upper middle class, among yeah. the college-educated set than they used to be. And one example of this is an article um, that was published in the New York Times a number of years ago called How Divorce Lost Its Groove. Oh, and wow. it's just a fascinating kind of portrait of, of the, the way in which even in Park Slope, which is a, a liberal um, neighborhood in, in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. um, and even in Seattle, obviously a fairly progressive city, a lot of sort of well-educated, more progressive married folks are just taking things more carefully, more, you know, um, taking their commitments more seriously. And they're just much more hesitant to get divorced today than would have been the case back in the seventies or, or eighties at the height of the first one. So I think that's a, that's an example where we've learned a lesson yeah. here. Yep. Yeah. And the challenge I think now is can we extend these kinds of lessons across, you know, 
the country. Um, and, and, and down generations as well. Right? Yeah, and into working class and poor communities. You know, can we make you know San Bernardino as stable a place for families? Yep. That's great. You know, as as Newport Beach. Right. No, that's really good. What is what is the divorce rate then? Just real quickly, that's a quick aside. And right now, if, if someone asks you, hey, I need a number, <laughs> the divorce rate, and I know it probably varies, but. Yeah, so my colleague, Scott Stanley, would say it's about 43% of first marriages. Um, but again, the, the important thing to, to sort of know, having made that point right. beyond that, is that um, – it looks like folks who are college educated are about two thirds less likely to get divorced than Americans who are not wow. college. Oh, it's wow. a huge difference. That would be in the twenties then. Their percent well, rate. Well, we have to sort of adjust for the, you know yeah. the fact that the, it's going to be higher for the mm-hmm. working class and poor. It's going to be right. lower for the college. So, but there's a big divide there. Right. Couples who attend uh, church together looks like thirty-five to forty percent less likely to get divorced. Mm-hmm. So, if you're talking about like a college-educated, you know, church-going couple. Their odds of divorce would be much lower, yeah. much lower than forty-three percent. If you're talking about a, a working-class couple who don't go to church together, their odds are going to be much higher than forty-three yeah. percent. Is the way wow. to think about that. That's right. Wow. So that's yeah. Maybe I, I when you were talking again, I love the fact that you're esteeming dads, and I, I don't know if you're aware of this uh, research. It was uh, Oxford University Press, 2013, but it was uh, Benston. Putney and Harris, Families and Faith, How Religion is Passed Down Across Generations. They, they raised a stir at Biola because this is what they basically said, that that passing on religious values, they kind of ranked it a little bit. And again, my wife was here. I don't know if Elisa was here, but they basically said dads were the transmission vehicle and second were grandparents. And then mothers, of course, were important, but the research showed that it really was the fathers that set the tone when it came to religion. And then grandparents really powerfully augmented that. Of course, the women on campus were like, well, I'm going to go take a nap because apparently I'm not doing anything, right? But but that's not what he was saying. But I, I love the fact that, that he was seeking to esteem the role that dads kind of uniquely had. And grandparents, man, step in there and your legacy could be, again, passing this on to the kids and stuff like that. I actually called Noreen's grandparents and uh, they're awesome. Uh, Catholic as well. And just said, hey, thank you so much for what you've done with with my kids. It's just amazing. So I love even painting a vision for grandparents. Right. And I think the point there in part is that, um, you know, even today, there's a way in which in many families, mom has the kind of, she's the default keeper of, of the faith, you know? And so when kids see their father taking it seriously, they kind of opens their eyes. Oh, this is not just a mom thing. This is dad's just in this thing too, you know? Um, And if the grandparents are also kind of, well, this, you know, so there's a a lot of important people in their lives are kind of taking faith seriously. And I think that makes it much more uh, salient for the kids. The other point point about grandparents too, is that they're, they're different than the parents, you know? So in in my family, for instance, my father-in-law is a, a former air force uh, officer, um, really old school kind of guy, um, and pretty tough-minded and pretty imposing in his own way. Um, and so, like, when he does something or says something, it gets a whole different kind of reaction, sure. reaction from my kids than when I say something or do something. So, <laughs> yes. so that's, and that's yeah. in the main a good thing, you know? Yeah. So it's like they're getting these kinds of messages and yeah. examples from very different people in their orbit. Yeah. And that's yeah. – so the more people who are, you know – taking their faith seriously, um, you know, who, who, for whom they have some measure of respect and love, I think the better. We're back to community. Yeah, that's great. So then uh, as we uh, 
wrap up here, Brad. There are some uh, things you have in your future and some plans, uh, obviously writing and continuing. Anything on the near horizon that you're excited about and most looking forward to? Are you... Um, I know you're on a research leave. That's always an amazing thing for a faculty member to take a sabbatical. But what's uh, so yeah? For- I'm writing about the the class divide in American family life this this semester, but also working with some colleagues on two reports: one on kind of uh, uh, basic African American men who are flourishing. Mm. There's been so much research in the last year about black men, black boys, in the New York Times, you know, three weeks ago, who are floundering, who are doing mm. poorly. But I'm sorry, you know, I, I, I know plenty of black men, you know, who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s who are doing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're there. And no one's studying them. No one's talking about them. No one's thinking about them. So we're going to be looking at sort of black men who are doing well in America. Oh, nice. And what are the things in their lives, you know, that help to account for their success in America today? Um, and the second thing we're doing is a big new report in the fall on religion and family globally, trying to figure out what role religion plays in the lives of um Couples um, and families, um, and we've got about 12 countries right now that we're looking at from Taiwan to the United States uh, to France to Australia, kind of just Mm. looking in a variety of contexts at at this nexus between religion and family life to find out what's happening today. Any uh, interesting findings? No, the survey is going in the field very soon, so I'm really, I I don't know what we're going to find, but, um, and really trying to, you know, let the sort of chips fall where they may on that one for obvious oh, reasons. Yeah, what, awesome. One thing that had come up earlier in our conversation too is just think about what is the thing that most has surprised yeah, me surprised in, in my research. And as anyone who's going to follow my work knows, I'm a big fan of fathers. I'm a big fan of the intact two-parent married family and all that kind of stuff. And so I was doing a project looking at the role of fathers in education in sub-Saharan Africa and, and parts of Asia and parts of Latin America. I was su- surprised to find in some countries having a father in the home was not linked to better educational outcomes for kids. Huh. I was just kind of like, what's that all about? You know, that's kind of surprising to me, given my, you know, my priors, as they say in the academy. And as I kind of explored the issue more deeply, found that in some of these countries, you know, dads weren't expected to play kind of a hands-on role with mm. their kids. Um, and so it was kind of a, help me to kind of sort of see that like family structure in and of itself is not the only thing, you know, or, you know, and of course, that's obvious to you as psychologists, but you know the, the process really matters here too, obviously. Right. And if a culture doesn't really encourage men to kind of step up and be practically and emotionally mm-hmm. engaged in the lives of their kids, we're not going to necessarily see that the presence of a father has an impact, at least in this yeah. domain, education, yeah. you know, in these countries. So that was kind of you know helpful for me to sort of see that you know a thing that I thought to be important, namely the presence of of a child's father in a household. Yeah, it's important oftentimes, but it also depends upon a certain kind of cultural context, certain expectation that dads yeah. will be engaged with their kids. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. great. Oh, that's good. That's Thank good work, work. Well, Brad, we've had you uh, for uh, a couple of these sessions, and, and um, we're looking forward to your work and, and all the things you're doing um, out there for this area. I know, Tim, uh, when we go out and talk and speak in different places, uh, the data that we have is really most effective in, in the lives of the couples that we see and individuals yeah. when we talk, even on this podcast, when it's based upon some of this research that Brad and others are doing. Yeah. And it's such a blessing to be able to see that. And so, and we view the podcast as kind of a clearinghouse for that, right? Yeah. We're all busy. There's so much information out there. And one of the things we like to do on this podcast and the center is kind of distill that and get the best 
to you so that you can just add more to your relational toolbox, your marriage toolbox, your parenting toolbox. And so, uh, Brad, again, you're a big part of that toolbox. So thank you. Well, thanks and, for including me. Yeah. So uh, for listeners, uh, you can find some of his work at the National Marriage Project, other play, Institute for Family Studies. We've got a blog, family-studies.org, that has a lot of uh, great pieces Monday through Thursday. So uh, a lot of different stuff there on, on marriage, sex, parenthood, work, family issues, family-studies.org. And apparently it's one of the two best podcasts in America and, and blogs, uh, that and CMRs, apparently. Yes. Is that right, Tim? Is that what I would heard? vote, yes. I would. <laughs> it's one of the two best in the entire... <laughs> Uh, thanks for joining us, uh, cmr.biola.edu, for other uh, information about Dr. Wilcox and his work, and and then just for the podcasts and blogs, events all over the place that we do, and uh, so glad to have uh, your listeners with us. Of course. Take care, everybody. All right. Thanks, Brad. <laughs>